purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. It was about 13 months ago when Oscar Tremboli was first with us on the Higher Purpose Podcast back in episode 57. We had a very unique conversation at that time about deep listening. And today we're going to continue that conversation and pick up where we left off. Now, it's not necessary that you first listen to that conversation before you can enjoy this one. This one stands alone, but you might want to go back and pick it up and listen or listen again at some point. So join me as we sit down and re-engage with Oscar Tremboli on deep listening. Hey, good day, Oscar Tremboli, and welcome back to the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm so excited to have you return. Well, I feel like nothing's really changed over this 12 months since we spoke last formally, Kevin. We've been in touch very regularly, I feel like, as a great conversation has just continued on. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And so today we're going to continue that conversation. And I want to pick it up with a comment that you made towards the end of that conversation together that left us. And it's just left me thinking. But before we do that, I just want to pause and ask you, as I do with every conversation, I want to ground it in gratitude. So, Oscar, what is something that you are grateful for in this moment? In this moment, I'm grateful for my grandchildren. Mm. They teach me so much, whether it's Sebastian in India or Xander and Paige and Ruby here in Sydney in Australia. Their curiosity is something that I'm really grateful for. Mm. So you have four? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So we have one granddaughter. And so we're recording this on a Tuesday. And last night we were over there on Mondays. We go over and have dinner with our son and his wife and our granddaughter. And then we put her to bed while they're out. And last night I got to put her to bed. Usually my wife does, but she gave me the honor of putting her to bed. And there's just something sweet about that. And our grandchildren do teach us so much. And it is a beautiful part of life. So I'm glad you started there, Oscar. What a great 60th birthday present for you, Kevin. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. And that is, that was what her mom and dad said. Hey, Emma, it's Papa's birthday. He'd really love to put you to bed tonight as part of his birthday present. And she was a little skeptical at first. She goes, I want Nana. <laughs> finally, she gave in and let me do it. So yeah, it was beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up. It was a wonderful day. So Oscar, as I said, I want to kind of go back. And as you said, we have continued the conversation. What you said towards the end of that conversation together was the biggest productivity gains for leaders and systems is by listening more, not learning to speak more effectively. We spent the last century learning how to speak. We'll spend the 21st century learning how to listen. Why do you say that this is the century of listening? 
I think it's a bit of back to the future for most of us. A lot of the ancient societies had great storytelling traditions around campfires. Mm. And if you want to find great listening cultures, you find great storytelling cultures. And stories are a way of teaching children how to listen. And yet we chop up stories today. We put them on short videos or we put them in text messages. And that art of speaking a full story is as important for the listener as it is for the speaker. So as there's this rising tide in humanity of going back to our storytelling traditions, Hmm. equally there'll be a rising consciousness that our ability to listen needs to improve. You see the cost of not listening is huge, whether it's the cost of not listening to all the warning signals for the global financial crisis, the cost of not listening for management when engineers on the VP Deepwater Horizons off Louisiana oil rig were saying, we can't do what you're asking us to do. And yet the management wasn't listening and some safety issues resulted in a huge loss of life, 14 people. But up till now, $54 billion, it's cost BP in cleanup efforts and compensation. So these costs of not listening are really evident these days. So wait, wait, wait a minute. I know interrupting's not good, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me for interrupting. Did you say fifty-four billion to one company? Yep. To date, fifty-four billion, and they're still counting. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pardon me, but that's mind-boggling because I've seen the figure that like seventy-three billion a year is the aggregate cost of not listening amongst corporations, but you're saying one company has rung up a bill of $54 billion and it's still adding up from yeah. not listening. That is significant. And the global financial crisis, that's up to $4 trillion. That's not counting economic growth and unemployment. And there was a really unique, two really unique individuals that were warning the banks and the central banks that This issue was coming in 2005, in fact, at Jackson Hole, Wyoming. An Indian electrical engineer, he wasn't trained as a central banker, but he formed a hypothesis and presented a paper to all the central bankers of the world and probably wondering why Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Apparently, it's really good trout fishing. And a lot of these bankers enjoy trout fishing. And Dr. Rajan was heckled and laughed at. In fact, in the press the next day, people said what Dr. Rajan had pointed out. He said, the financial system is like everybody living in a really good house. But unfortunately, the plumbing is blocked up and the smell is starting to emerge. And if we don't deal with the plumbing, something's going to blow up. Now, there was a beautiful metaphor around what was the stink that was about to be created. But the next day, Larry Summers, Hank Paulson, a number of Treasury officials all said he was false, his assumptions were wrong. And I heard him interviewed about a year ago on a Freakonomics radio station. And they asked him if anyone had ever apologized or come back to him and said, you were right. And he said, no, I'm still waiting. And there's a film called The Big Short, And it focuses on a guy called Dr. Michael Burry. And he was a medical doctor who set up his own funds management company. 
and he had very different research methods as well. I guess the point is whether it was a medical doctor or an electrical engineer took people who were listening outside of the system to point out what the cost mm -hmm. might be. And with Michael, he went through line by line by line. He literally put every subprime mortgage into an Excel spreadsheet and analyzed every single line. There were lots of lines in this spreadsheet. And he went to the banks and told them that this was the problem. And they laughed at him. So he decided to ask them to set up a derivative and bet that the market would fall. And for a while, he was losing money. And then all of a sudden, he made a huge windfall. But for all of us, we struggle to pay attention to people who are different mm. in our profession, different mm. in our experience set, different in our culture, because we're either listening to the accent mm. or we're listening to prove it wrong as opposed to what can we learn from this? What, what can we be curious about? So I think one of the things I'd say, Kevin, for the 21st century listeners is when you find yourself violently disagreeing with somebody, that's a moment to say to yourself, what is it in my assumptions that could be false and what can I learn from this other person? Now, that's really listening at a much deeper level. Wow. Wow. A lot to take in there, Oscar. And I love that last point. When you find yourself violently disagreeing with someone, Mm. That should be a warning sign. So I've got to ask you something else here. And I just wonder this because I've seen this and I'm, I don't remember if you wrote this in your book, but I've seen other. Most people in the world believe we are above average listeners. Is that true or false that we believe that? Yeah. So there's three statistics that make me laugh. We all believe we're above average IQ. Mm -hmm. We all believe we're above average car drivers. That's right. And we all believe we're above average listeners. And whether that's academic research, transcontinental, doesn't matter which continent, doesn't matter which language you ask that question in, hmm. most people, it's about 83% when you look at the kind of aggregate all the academic surveys out, 83% of people think they're above average. And if you schooled in statistics, only 50% can be above the average, not 83%. And that's the problem when it comes to listening. We don't have a consciousness of what good is. Mm. We mm. know when someone's not listening to us, but we haven't been taught the maths of listening. We don't know minus, subtract, divide, multiply when it comes to listening. Well, at least in Australia, we didn't have listening teachers. Did you have listening teachers at your school, Kevin? No. Yeah. So we don't know the basics. So listening is either really hard for us or we don't know what good looks like. Hmm. So that's the work that I'm doing is to kind of just raise everybody's consciousness is what is good listening and where should we start with listening? So if 83%, and I'm just going to be honest and say of us, I'd like to think I'm one of those, I think I'm a better listener than I actually am. What's a sign? What should be kind of wake-up calls? You're not as good at this as you think you are. Yeah. So if you turn up to a conversation with your cell phone on or not in flight mode, there's a good sign. If you turn up to a conversation with a, 
iPad or a laptop or a tablet or some kind of electronic device that is sending you notifications, whether that's audio or visual, that's a good sign because you're not paying attention. And for a lot of us, the other sign is we're coming into a conversation with the last conversation still in our head. So we're still thinking about something that was said before, or we're thinking about an issue that maybe is something we have to resolve in the next week or on the weekend. Yet for people right now, it's happening to them. As we speak, Kevin, they're drifting away. And the reason they are is the maths of listening. I'm speaking at 125 words a minute. You can listen at 400. So you're filling in the gap with about 275 words. And mm. I'm just speaking way too slow for most people. So that's the other thing. If you notice you drift away in conversations, you might make up a story. Gee, this speaker's boring. Gee, this speaker's slow. Can they get to the point? There's another way to notice that you're not listening. <laughs> so, Oscar, I loved when I read the 125-400 rule. And then there's mm. another number with that, right? The 900, which is? Yeah. So this 125-900 rule, I speak at 125 words a minute, but I can think at up to 900 words a minute. Now, that's an average. Some people can think it up to 600. Some people can think it up to 1,500, but on average, 900. And this is the issue. If I speak at 125 words a minute, I have 900 words in my head, Kevin. The likelihood the first thing out of my mouth is what I'm actually thinking and meaning. There's a one in nine chance that what I say is what I mean, or 11%. So do you want your conversation to have an 11% chance of success, or do you want to listen a little bit more and simply say, tell me more about that, mm. or say, what else? Mm. And in doing so, people will say things like, and they'll generally do this, they'll take a breath in and go, well, what's really important to me is, or they'll say, now that I think about it, what matters the most is, oh, you know what we should talk about that we haven't discussed? And we're getting down into deeper levels of meaning for them. You see, a good listener is listening to understand what the conversation means for them. And a great listener is helping the speaker understand what the conversation means for them. Your job as a listener is to help them unpack those 900 words. It's not important that you understand what they're saying. It's important that they understand what they're saying. And if you want to have an impact beyond words, you've got to understand how to help them get rid of those 900 words out of their head. It's a bit like a washing machine, Kevin. When we speak, it's the rinse cycle. And when we think, it's like the wash cycle. It's sudsy, it's messy, it's dirty. And most of us, while we think, we never actually clean out our thinking by speaking out aloud. And yet when we do, there's a completely different neurological connection between the synapse in your mind when you speak out aloud compared to when you're just thinking to yourself. So a great listener can help the speaker discover completely new things about what they're thinking mm. by simply asking, tell me more. Mm. Okay, there are multiple things that I want to go back and unpack from that. Mm. 
and I worked real hard. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I'm just being honest here, Oscar. It was really difficult to not interrupt at times. But let's stop and talk about this. What's the difference between just, because this is one thing I've had people tell me. Hmm. When we talk about listening, well, what about the person that just doesn't know when it's time to stop talking? And that makes me a worse listener than I feel I already am. I've had people tell me that, Oscar. What's going on in an interchange like that where the speaker is kind of, they're not aware of how long it's mm. taking them to process something? Yeah. And there is a time to, that listening too much is counterproductive. And there's a beautiful interview between Professor Adam Grant from Wharton Business School and Melinda Gates who runs the Gates Foundation. And Melinda says she realized that at some point, listening without speaking is counterproductive. And what I would say is a great listener is as much like a book editor. They're helping people edit their thoughts. And for a lot of people, when they speak for the first time, it's very difficult for them to make what they say structured, coherent, or concise. So our role is sometimes interrupting is productive. Hmm. And I think as humans, we have this gut feel. So a couple of things to notice. If their story starts to sound repetitive, there's an opportunity for you to interrupt. And that's not to say, you said that already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's a respectful way to interrupt then? Yeah, so one of the ways you can help them edit their thoughts and respectfully interrupt, any thought that's lasting longer than three to five minutes as a monologue is multiple thoughts. So there's your mm -hmm. first hint. If you're kind of passing three to five minutes and they've just continued in a monologue, it's an interesting point to help them notice and simply say, so imagine they're being repetitive as mm -hmm. an example. You might simply say, hey, Kevin, I'm curious, are you noticing any patterns in what you say? Mm. And here's the thing. Your job is not to notice the pattern. Your job is to get them to notice the pattern because if you notice the pattern, it's not theirs. They haven't owned it. So they might, when I pose that question to people, the pattern they notice is nine times out of 10, not the pattern I'm noticing. Hmm. They notice something completely different. But because they notice it, they go, oh, well, yeah. Uh, Good point, Kevin. And all of a sudden, it short circuits them to go, ah, okay. So imagine they discover they're being repetitive. Your simple next question is, look, for the time we have available for this conversation, what's the most productive thing we can discuss? Put it back on them. And I think those two simple questions help to edit the dialogue. Mm. But I often say to people, be careful. Too much listening is as counterproductive as no listening. Hmm. Interesting. Say more about that. I know you already touched on that a little bit with the 
Adam Grant and Melinda Gates, but say more, because I think there's some people that may be like me. I get that, but then I'm on this aspiration to listen better, and somehow that doesn't quite make sense. The the yin and the yang of that, Mm. the listening, but pulling back in. Yeah, I think one of the ways you can signal to the listener, to the speaker as the listener, without using verbal cues is just to continuously lean in even further. And sometimes if you want to prompt an interruption, you might whisper rather than speak at the same volume. Mm. And again, it acts as this circuit breaker to the conversation where you go, wow. Now, because it's gentle, it's not perceived as an interruption. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Again, just kind of do it when they draw breath. You're allowing them to flow so it Mm. doesn't feel jarring, but you are helping them to edit their conversation. Mm. Mm. So sometimes just simply leaning in or sometimes lowering your volume, you change the state of their mindset in that dialogue. So I have a question here for you. Of groups you've worked with, and you've worked with multiple members of the team, yep. and you come back some time later, what do you notice different about the way they are interacting or listening more deeply? Hmm. So one of the fun exercises we do is we help people discover which one of the four listening villains they primarily are in the workplace. So the four listening villains, the dramatic listener, the interrupting listener, the lost listener, or the shrewd listener. So I'm a shrewd listener at work. So the shrewd listener will kind of very intently scratch their chin and "Mm, mm, tell me more, tell me more. And what's going on in the shrewd listener's head is, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you have such a basic problem. I wish you'd hurry up and get to the complicated problems. I've solved that problem in my head and I know three problems you haven't even thought about and I'm so much smarter than you are. Disproportionately represented in sales professionals, consulting professionals, legal professionals, accounting professionals, management consultants, human resources. I don't know. (laughs) So the shrewd listener pretends they're listening but they're really missing out on most of the dialogue. The interrupting listener is the one people notice the most. And it's interesting because when we deconstruct the interrupting listener, their intention is really for the speaker. They're trying to get them to the point much faster. But as it comes across, it can be perceived as rude and it can be perceived as jarring if it's not done elegantly. So we saw just earlier on, if you just lean in and whisper, you can still interrupt, but it feels like, oh, wow, they're actually listening. The lost listener is completely lost in their own head, Kevin. They may be stuck in their last meeting. They may be stuck in their next meeting. They may be stuck in their devices. They may be stuck in acronyms. They may be new to the team and don't even know what's being discussed, but they're going to just play along because they know they'll catch up eventually, but they don't. And the dramatic listener always listens in a way that sounds like this. You might say to me, Oscar, I've got a terrible 
manager or this merger is not going really well. And all my all-time favorite, a client of mine went to their manager and said, is it okay if I go to my grandmother's funeral on Wednesday? And the manager spent the next 10 minutes explaining about when their grandmother died and how difficult it was for them. And at the end of the 10 minutes, my client simply said to the manager, so is it okay if I go to the funeral? The dramatic listener loves your story because it creates a stage for them to tell a bigger, more elaborate story that's always about them. And again, they're just trying to create a connection between you and them on a common path. So whether it's a dramatic, interrupting, lost or shrewd listener, the thing that people say they notice when we come back is once you know your listening villain, it's tattooed on your brain, you can never remove it. And that consciousness to know what your listening barrier is helps people understand if I am a shrewd listener, how do I just become conscious of the fact I'm doing that? So for a lot of people, when I come back after about 90 days in my consulting work, the most common thing they say is, wow, I've noticed how poorly I listen. Equally, I notice when other people listen poorly and I notice when people are listening well now. So it's not even, have they made a dramatic change? They're just conscious of what good looks like, let alone great. I think the number one muscle they all develop is really simple. And some of them get frustrated by the simplicity and others don't. The simplicity is this. They all come to the conversation with devices switched off without the bings, the bells, the buzzers, the distraction. You see, for 86% of people, they get lost. Their biggest barrier to listening is distraction. 86%. 86% of people. So we've surveyed 1,410 people over two and a half years now and consistent biggest barrier to listening is a device of some sort. Okay, so is it accurate to say, as I was listening to that, I'm thinking, and as I've listened to other things you've said, talk about distractions. They're kind of two big categories of distractions, at least as I see them. There are the external distractions, mm. devices, interruptions, screens, and then there's the internal yeah. distraction. Yeah. And then within internal distractions, there's two levels of internal distractions. It's what's distracting in the story they're telling me, mm. as well as what's am I distracting myself with a story I'm telling myself about that story. So there's kind of two levels within that too. True. So you're right to say that because... The mind is working faster, 300 words faster than what the person's speaking, and it's kind of jumping. It's just doing what a brain does really well and it's trying to race away and make connections as quickly as possible, it's trying to make connections to history and experience and examples. It's trying to make connections with predictions. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my future? What does this mean for my team? So as your mind does that, there are many distractions going on internally. Now, what the data tells us about the difference between internal and external distractions is the one people are most conscious of are the external distractions. So it's not only the device, but it could be a noise of a car driving past. It could be a sound in a coffee shop or a restaurant if you're having the conversation. Or if you're on the phone in an open plan office, it could be other externalities. That's the one that people notice the most. And when they've moved forward 
and started to work on removing those distractions, then they become conscious of this level you're talking about, Kevin, which is the internal distraction and the story in their head. And as they become conscious of that, that's the next piece of work to do. Mm. Mm. And if we were to kind of set a challenge for anybody, one of the first things we want to make sure they do is know how to overcome distraction, you know, how to be in that moment. And in the book, and I'm very grateful for this, that there is a simple, one simple, there are others, but there's a simple practice. And I did it before we connected on this conversation today. What is the simple practice to quiet our monkey mind? Well, I think it would be better coming from you because you've practiced it. And I think, you know, we've come back a year later, Kevin, and you've probably been practicing it more frequently. Yeah. So tell me more. Well, one of the big takeaways from getting to know you, Oscar, reading the book was, wow, just pause breathe five seconds, 10 seconds. Today, I actually did three or four minutes. There was an alarm that went off. I knew we were 10 minutes away. I'm shutting things down five minutes away because I knew, I mean, I'm serious, Oscar, the conversation you and I shared last time and every conversation I share with you is significant to me and it's important. It's transformational. And I just wanted to be ready. Now, I ought to do that with every conversation I have, right? Because mm. every conversation has the potential of being transformative. It's not just a conversation with Oscar. It's every conversation. So just pausing five, 10 seconds. And if you have the opportunity to extend it, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. And I was reading something this morning and I was just thinking, and they were talking about how do you let the dirt settle in water. Mm. The natural state of water is clear. You just let it be still. Mm. And all of those distractions will fall to the bottom. Yeah. Right. So this whole idea of just being still and quiet, breathing. Thank you. Mm. My pleasure. And it was interesting for those of you who can't watch Kevin and I, and you're just listening to this, I just said, tell me more. And what you would have noticed Kevin do was his head went back. He took a deep breath in and said, well, which is exactly what we do when we unpick those extra 900 words in their head. Mm. Mm. So I think the consciousness to breathe in through your nose down into your chest, all the way down to your diaphragm and then out through your mouth. We don't have to be yoga instructors. We don't have to be doing that. But for me, Kevin, the way I make this a practice is when I walk into a building where I'm going to do some work, the minute I cross the lobby, my phone goes into flight mode. It goes into my bag. Once I step into the lift, three deep breaths, nobody in the lift would know I'm doing it. And then when I go to a reception and they offer me a tea or a coffee, I always ask for a glass of water and if possible, a glass of water for everybody participating <laughs> in my meeting. And a hydrated brain is a listening brain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you could have a glass of water for every meeting you attend, you'll be 
physically in a much better position to listen as well. The mind, the brain, 5% of body mass yet consumes 26% of blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And a hydrated brain will just make sure those blood sugars are getting there quicker. And it's really difficult. Listening's hard because most people don't know the frameworks to do it. So it's kind of like going to a gym and not lifting weights correctly. And it's harder to lift weights if you don't realize you have to lift weights, not only from your arms, but also from your legs. Hmm. A lot of us listen like one-legged runners. We only run on one leg and it gets really tired when it comes to listening. Hmm. Done well, listening is actually very simple because if you can be of an empty mind and focused on the other person. I remember in between the time we've uh, spoken formally, Kevin, I did a workshop with a Japanese company and the CEO was relocated from Japan and he'd read my book before the workshop commenced. And he said to me, he said to the group as he introduced me, he said, this book is very simple to read, Mm. very difficult to practice. Mm. And he had done martial arts and he's still doing martial arts. And he says it, it reminded him of karate and that it's a daily practice Mm. and you practice the basics first before you start doing the flying somersault kicks and Mm. i think the question you posed originally to me is what do people notice 90 days down the track it's not the fancy pants stuff that i've got at level five that matters to them when it comes to listening it's those three simple things breathing that you mentioned as an example switch off your devices, drink water. If they practice that every day, it's a huge, huge step forward. But what does the business notice is even more exciting for me. Meetings start on time and finish earlier. Actions get completed. Projects finish earlier, under budget, delivering to what people want rather than what people thought they want. Customers are all of a sudden making referrals because you're paying attention to their needs and employees who may have gone and joined other organizations are staying longer because they're saying, wow, my manager's listening to me. I was working with a big property company only July this year. And one of the things we do a webinar with the stakeholders after 30 days and I said, you know, what are the big changes? And they said, we are so glad you asked us to work with the people managers first because in noticing ourselves what we need to hold ourselves accountable to be better listeners, our staff are starting to use the language you presented at the workshop. And the way they're doing that is, wow, my manager's listening to the unsaid. Wow, my manager's listening to the context. And that's delightful for me because it just takes the friction out of the workplace relationship, but it gets results so much quicker too. Wow. Those were just amazing results you shared Mm. there, Oscar. And what organization wouldn't enjoy those results? And those results really do have an economic impact to the bottom line. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, my quest is to 
right now we're doing some work with a research company to start to help to quantify what the listening villains cost the workplace. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, that shows up with regulators. It shows up with bad media stories. It shows up with staff leaving. It shows up with customers joining competitors. It shows up in suppliers not delivering the kinds of results you expected because you didn't take any time to either brief them correctly, which is one form of listening, but equally understanding what their constraints were as they came back with questions for you as well. So it's multifaceted. And as you can see, it's a big landscape to play on. And we were joking a couple of weeks ago when we spoke, or you misspoke, Kevin, and asked me, how's it going with my billion listeners quest in the world? And I said, no, 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 Kevin, it's 100 million. Don't add another zero on for me. (laughs) And I think in that glorious moment of organic conversation, we may have just added a zero onto our quest. And Hmm. I might need to open some outlets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk about an outlet that we want to open. But before we do that, I want to ask one question, and that's how briefly can you talk about the power of silence? Now, you could just be silent for 30 seconds or 45 seconds and let that communicate the power of silence. But the power of silence. So the word silent and the word listen have exactly the same letters. Yes, they do. So one of my wishes for the world is more people knew that. Mm. Silence as a listener helps the speaker understand what they're trying to mean. Mm. Silence in the East and in ancient cultures is a sign of respect. It's a sign of authority. It's a sign of wisdom. And long-term cultures can hold dialogues with people in silence for five minutes. In some cultures, five days, meetings can take place with silence. And I think in the West, we kind of think about silence with language like the awkward pause or the pregnant pause. Mm. We use terms like that to kind of judge silence. In fact, sometimes in some conversations, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some work with some investment bankers and even the concept of silence to them was you literally want to be speaking at a speed that is much faster and working with them to just notice what silence can create in a negotiation. They kind of went, wow, we never thought that was quote-unquote, a tactic that they could use. And they were thinking, well, we can use silence as kind of a negotiating weapon now. And I said, well, it's all about intention, so let's hope that it helps everybody. And yet silence, most often, Dr. David Rock has written a great book about the neuroscience and basically said, let silence do the heavy lifting in the conversation that's a phrase he uses and it's true that when you're discussing something complex sometimes just pausing is as effective as continuing the dialogue and Mm. if your mind is empty you'll know when that's Mm. appropriate 
But if your mind's racing around, it's probably really difficult. The final thing I would say is there's a big difference between silent and still. And the state we want to achieve is stillness. Silence is a pathway to it. And in stillness, stillness creates a gravity that's a magnetic attraction to progress. And sometimes if we're still, not just the listener, but also the speaker, other things will emerge. Mm. But for most of us, while our cell phones are going off and our laptops are sending us email notifications and Skype messages and Slack messages, we're not present enough to think about silence, let alone stillness. So the takeaway I heard out of that, being a Westerner, is to begin recognizing the pause as a good thing in a conversation and treating it with respect rather than labeling it as the awkward pause, the pregnant pause, all of these things that we do that then make it something that we think is obviously not good for a conversation. So just beginning to recognize that a pause is a good thing, not just can be, is a good thing in conversation. Hmm. And always in the workshops that I do, I say to people, treat silence like it's another word. Listen to the beginning of silence, the middle of silence, and the end of silence. And if you treat it like a word, it becomes simpler to go, okay, it's Hmm. just another word. All right. So Oscar, a couple of things you mentioned here. You mentioned if we were to do a challenge, if you were to have somebody do a challenge, and then you mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to you. And that's exactly what I reached out to you to do is Mm. what if we teamed up to help you get to 100 million or a billion deep listeners in the world, which either number is I'm all for. I want to see it happen. What if we came together and created a challenge that took your content and married it in a community with some activities and exercises that helped people get on the path? And that's what we're going to do. Yep. It's uh, a challenge I'm up for, a challenge I'll learn from, be curious to listen into who participates and just as curious about who doesn't. Hmm. And yeah, I'd love to get an opportunity to get people to become conscious of their listening villains, get them conscious about distractions and get them comfortable with silence. So if if we were to think about four things and outcomes, the first thing would be you need to have a listening intention. So how do you get to a place where you're available to listen? Two, how do you sustain that by removing distractions, whether they're the distractions that are external to you or distractions that are internal to you? Become comfortable with silence and what's unsaid. The ultimate ninja move of a deep listener is listening to what's unsaid. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's back to that 125-900 rule if you can get them to unpack what they've said. And then finally, let's go and discover our listening villains together, what really gets in your way and a couple of simple questions you could answer to discover which listening villain you are, but more importantly, what to do about it so you make progress on the journey to becoming a better listener. 
Well, I am certainly excited that we are going to experiment and explore this together and with you, you listening. If this is of interest to you, go to listeningchallenge.com to learn more information and enroll to join us there. This will take place inside of the community we call This Extraordinary Life. Now, Oscar, before we wrap up and then on the back end, I'll give you those instructions with a little more detail so you can make sure and go right there. But Oscar, what would allow you to bring a fitting close to this time we've shared together today? Whether you choose to participate in the listening challenge or not, the challenge I'd throw out to everybody today is when you notice you violently disagree with somebody, use that as a moment to notice whether you're actually listening to what they mean or are you just listening to what they say. So if I had one wish for the world, if everybody in the world just took an extra five minutes to listen to somebody they disagree with and listen to what they mean rather than what they say, you'll become a better listener. Okay, Oscar, I'm moved emotionally by that because I'm also thinking how much different our world would be if everyone took, how many conflicts, global, international conflicts could be avoided? Arguments in the home with just that little extra listening. So, Thank you for sharing that challenge. Thank you for sharing this time. And thank you for joining us for the listening challenge. And we want to invite you into that. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Oscar. What a delightful conversation. And as I'm recapping this, I'm wondering, how many of you would say that you would rate yourself as an above average listener? You're in that 83% that's above average. But then as you listen to Oscar kind of go into this, what it really takes to be an effective listener, you realize you, like me, have opportunity for improvement. And there was another number that's equally alarming that 86% of us, and I'm saying us, are distracted when we're wanting to listen. And those distractions are both internal and external. And then the other thing I just always enjoy in conversation with Oscar are these gentle prompts, the way to gently interrupt a person that is lost in their ability to speak. And this whole 125, 400, 900 rule that because our brain works faster and our ears work faster than our mouth can, we sometimes get lost in thought. And as listeners, our real goal is to help the speaker clarify what they're seeking to communicate, not clarify what we're hearing. Hey, if any of this is resonating with you and you want to really lean in and become a more effective deep listener, we want to invite you to join us. Go to listeningchallenge.com. We've got a 28-day challenge starting the first Monday in October. That's October 7th. So please join us. Go to listeningchallenge.com for more information and to enroll, sign up, 
And we look forward to having you be part of this 28-day journey to becoming a deeper listener and how that will improve your life, your leadership, and your family. Hey, until we connect again, I invite you to live, love, lead, and listen with purpose. Do you have a high-stakes initiative that is stuck, stalled out, or stymied, and you're not sure what to do now and how to forge a path forward? The situation is not as grim as you think it is. We can help. Contact Kevin to explore how a winning conversation may be exactly what you need to break the gridlock, unite your team in purpose, and accelerate traction. Call 678-744-5111 or email kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com.